Hello everyone, and welcome to the Reading Party Podcast with Megan and Lexi. This bonus episode starts our season looking at modern retellings of the Iliad and Odyssey, ancient stories known for both brutal violence and instances of sexual assault. It is not suitable for under-18s. We hope you have your favourite beverage and snacks ready to go, because we've got our teas and are ready to start spilling the tea on our latest ancient story. This is season one. We're doing the Iliad and this is our prediction episode where we're just going to talk about our expectations and our previously conceived ideas, expectations, whatever, about what we think we're going to encounter. And and then hopefully at the end of the season, we will figure it out and find out what whether we were like super right or like totally wrong or if we had our opinions changed so going right into this megan yeah how much do you know about or remember about the iliad and the characters central to it that is a good question i know so i read the iliad in high school which was a few years decades ago now um and then i I did read it again in college, likewise, a few years ago. So I can remember the like the general outline of the plot. I know the main characters and like the big events, but I, I'm pretty sure there are little bits and pieces that I've forgotten. And I didn't ever read an awful lot of the surrounding mythology. So I know that there are bits about Achilles and Thetis and um, um, the Amazons that like I kind of on my periphery, I know they exist because of general pop culture, but I don't know the specifics and I don't know what out of my impressions are based on actual source material and what are, for example, made up by Marvel. How about you? Um, I had to read it in high school. I don't remember what year, but I read it in high school and The Odyssey, of course. But then when I got to college, being a classics major, um, we I didn't have to read the whole thing all the way through, like, multiple times. I took, like, one Greek and Roman, Roman epic course where I did have to read the poem all the way. And then because I was taking, like, smaller sort of elective courses that dealt with themes from each, it was reading a lot of the excerpts of, like multiple chapters or whatever so so like i've gotten bits and pieces here and there so i've definitely forgotten um like the sequential order of things and and a lot of details even some names sometimes now i'll get them confused because i've sort of mashed them up into the uh you know the masher and um use them for all kinds of different things so but i mean generally this the story and the, the main characters like that's the kind of stuff you don't forget and then just having consumed popular media even as as wrong as a lot of them are details do stick out to me um yeah no i definitely yeah it's been a while but i'm excited to get back into things um one thing i definitely remember though is in all of the adaptations i have never liked paris and helen what about you yes hard same i they're just 
they're annoying in the poem and they are annoying in I have so I haven't watched or read a lot of adaptations but like you the ones I have read and watched and do remember they've just been irritating very like there's this whole it's kind of Romeo and Juliet-esque but without the I don't know there's a tragic element to Romeo and Juliet and they're like they're both kids and this is genuinely stuff that they don't have any say in I feel like with Helen and Paris they're adults they know what they're doing is wrong and they go ahead and do it anyway and then a lot of times there's this kind of angst about oh our love is causing so much hurt and suffering but we must continue no actually just you know helen go back to your husband paris keep it <laughs> in your pants um and the world would be a much happier place i i mean yes on the one hand i do agree but also from what i remember because the gods play such a role in it and like they mm, really yeah. forced kind of these because to me they were never star-crossed lovers so it was very much a mm -hmm. product of the gods doing that kept them together. Even though I feel mm -hmm. like at least one of them at least has had to like sort of grow a spine and be like, maybe this is wrong. Maybe we should cause <laughs> the deaths of like, you know, thousands of people. Maybe. But I can't remember. Um, so hopefully we'll discover that. No, I do. I So I do think you're right. And I think going into this, I'm going to be very interested to see how the gods are dealt with, especially in the screen adaptations, because you can, I think it's difficult to do without being overly cheesy, but then if you leave them out entirely, which I, I think a couple do, if you leave them out entirely, the whole impetus for the war is gone, and it is just resting solely on Helen and Paris, which makes them <laughs> even more unlikable than I think they usually are to begin true, with. True, true. I don't know. I, I do I do like how a lot of people compare Romeo and Juliet to this story. Um, although, do you remember Paris and Helen's ages? Because I know that Romeo and Juliet, they're what, like 14 and 12 or 13 or, or something like tragically young, which is why, and I find it funny because people don't remember that the full title is like the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet, but people are like, no, no, Oh, that's not a tragedy it's just yeah so it's just romeo and juliet and i'm like no but love story love story it's like it is a love story but everyone dies at the end exactly so like I, I guess i chalk romeo and juliet up to like they're sad they're sad and they're they're young children who were not taught and they're living in an age where everything's forbidden and then you have the unique dynamics of the rivalry so, so i feel like that's very much they got carried off with their passions and just like were dumb children and didn't know better and then no one stopped them from doing dumb things like trying to you know kill each other um so that i'm I, i'm a little more forgiving of because of their ages but i'm like i don't remember paris and helen's ages but if they were like grown-ass adults i'd be less forgiving well, Helen's been married for a while, and I, like, yes, women got married very young, but she's been married for a while, and she and Menelaus don't mm -hmm. they have a kid. Like, so she's probably older than Juliet. Yeah, I mean, Juliet was, like, 12 or 13. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I was just thinking, like, logistically, logistically, what? Yes, logistically speaking, she has to be. Because isn't, well, okay. I don't actually remember, but isn't 
the range when like a young girl finally develops and like gets her period i mean yes you can get it as young as nine but i'm assuming you know most people even back then were not like nine-year-olds having children so i gotta believe that if she's like 12 she still might have been too young to start her menstrual cycles maybe um but you know with helen clearly having a daughter she'd have to be you know what's like the median age when you start 13 14 15 no 16 is late Let's say for the sake of argument, sure. 13. So she had to be well past that, at least, which puts her way yeah. past Juliet. Still not as necessarily very That's old, true. Though. I've never thought about That's this true. before. Like, she could, uh, depending on how old the daughter is, she could still be, like, late teens. That's true. She could, oh my god, oh my god, wait, I've never thought about this. I'm like, wait, Helen, teenage pregnancy? <laughs> We're making Helen sympathetic! No! Oh no, like Helen, teenage pregnancy. Like, but they didn't have high school, so no one could congratulate her or, like, you know, shame her and be like, you didn't make it past teenage pregnancy, Helen. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, so I'm like, I don't know. For the sake of argument, let's just say maybe she could have had her daughter Hermione at like 18. Yeah, let's just let's say she's old enough to know better. Sure, sure. Well, also, because then even if the the child was born when she was, like, 18, from what I remember, the child was old enough that, like, she was already considered for marriage, right? So she's not some, like, baby. So... Yeah, so we're talking about grown-ups here. Grown-ups who should probably not be having affairs with foreign princes. Exactly. So even if she had her in the younger end as a teen, um, with the time it takes for the daughter to be of marriageable age herself, which would have been at least 13... She would have been mid twenties, mm-hmm. maybe. So, your brain is developed at like twenty five or twenty six as a, as a young girl. So, like, she was an adult. She was an adult. Wow, I'm reading way too much into the actual age of these fictional characters. Paris himself was older too. So let's just go with he was older. So he was definitely yeah. an adult. <laughs> so you know he was. He should have known better. But yeah, I don't know. So definitely, I guess one of my main predictions is that uh, I did not like them before. And I don't think that yeah. my opinion of them is going to change all that much um, based on just how... I think I think it would have to be done... I think the writing or the screenplay would have to be done in a way maybe that is not strictly in keeping with the poem for me to like or be terribly sympathetic to Helen and Paris. I mean they'd have to just make them do stuff or like make them because to me the biggest problem of them especially when I read them in the source material is that they not only do they not seem to sort of care about what's happening around them other than their love um but like they're not even written in a way where they try to do something that would improve their standing because it's like you know Mm -hmm. helen also this is actually i'm very curious uh when you have read the iliad before are are you on the side of she went willingly or was she stolen because i know that's a hot topic of debate in certain representations that's that's a good question i've never really come down on either side i think you can probably read it successfully in both ways because weirdly she's she's kind of a minor character in the actual poem yeah given that she kicks the whole thing off or or the the whole war is about her she doesn't 
do or say an awful lot. So I think there's a lot of freedom in there for interpretation and reinterpretation based on what kind of story you want to tell. Yeah, that's true. I think um that's true. I mean, I've seen I've seen adaptations done, I think where like she has left voluntarily, which to me makes her seem even more unlikable, but then you also have the she's stolen, but then because she doesn't insist on going home to like her daughter, um that's a different kind of unlikable. I I don't know, to me it's like having her be stolen, quote unquote. To me, that tries to add a layer of sympathy to her. So I find it curious that, like, what they do with that after she can still be written so unlike, like, you know, in a, such an unlikable way. So I suppose it doesn't really matter whether she was stolen or, or whether she left. But, um, yeah, either way, even after she was gone, however she was gone, yeah, like... She's still a foreigner mm -hmm. going to a foreign place, and so I find it curious that, like, there's no mention of her even attempting to sort of ingratiate herself in a new society. Um, yeah. What I would be interested to see, and I don't think, I don't know that this has been done, I, I'm not aware of anything. What would be interesting is to see an adaptation where she is stolen and spends the whole thing begging to be let go again. And Paris is like, no, the gods promised you to me, you are mine. And because Priam is so devout and so pious, he's like, no, sorry, honey, the gods promised you to my son. This is kind of how it goes. We, we're not going to send you back and risk angering them. That would, I, I don't think it's been done, but I, that would be, that would be interesting. That hasn't been done, except in my mind. <laughs> I remember like my mom when I was little, she got me like a very cartoony sort of book of Greek myths, very simplified, of course, for, for a young audience. So nothing traumatic, nothing about kidnap and... <laughs> nothing about the creation of the Minotaur. Exactly. No kidnap, no rape, no weird incesty things, just light little cute cartoons. And I think, I don't remember who wrote it or what it was or where it came from, but... I remember picking it up at my school's library when I was like, I think I was like eight or nine or something really young. And I first read this very simplified story and I had it in my head that she was stolen by the evil Prince Paris and that she was like a good, loyal wife who loved Menelaus and she was stolen. And I remember after reading that, whatever it was, I was like, justice for Helen. She was stolen from her home. And Menelaus is like this wonderful, devoted, like husband who loves her. And it's, it's a passionate love story of, you know, he and his comrades are trying to go get the wife back. That would be a really interesting story. Someone needs to get on this. <laughs> I want to see that adaptation. Please, will someone just do like a, like a, um, uh, uh, um, no, I'm, th it's so creepy. I don't know why I'm thinking of it, but right now I just had, uh, it popped into my mind, the Silence of the Lambs, like where Buffalo Bill keeps whatever her name is in the well. And she's like, please, I want to go home. I'm like, oh my God, what if we saw that? So it's like. <laughs> so we, we're not only rewriting the Iliad to be Helen centric, but also to be a horror film like psychological torment type thing that, that i mean i'm here for it i'm absolutely here for it but if you think about it who, has anyone ever tried to do 
a horror adaptation of the Iliad? I don't think so. Because everyone takes themselves too seriously. I know, and it's got it's got really good bones for it. Yes. Because I think everyone who does it takes themselves way too seriously because when you do it, it's either like supposed to be some star-crossed lovers type shit or it's 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 done in like a way too serious dra- drama, dramatic type of thing. And so I want to see something either horror or something just sort of fun and playful done with the source material because I think you could really turn it into some sort of comedic thing no one knows what to do with the gods so it's really annoying because you just have either some sort of pseudo like oh yeah we're sort of doing something or they're not there or like, so so i just want to see someone like poke fun at it because i think you can that would well maybe we will find that comedic interpretation that would be exciting oh please yeah i, I hope anyway now we've completely rewritten the whole um the whole premise um, I think we're onto something, by the way. Um, this idea is copyright Megan and Lexi 2022. Uh, <laughs> what are your predictions for Achilles? Like, do you generally like him from the source material? No, from the source material, he's a pouty little f- brat who sits in his fucking tent and just goes, oh, woe is me, woe is me. Life is hard because someone stole my treasure. It. And it doesn't even say, because from the Briseis thing, you know, it's it, it, you could write it in a way, someone could write it in a way, where it was like he would sort of fell in love with her love at first sight attraction, where he's like, oh no, Agamemnon stole my Briseis, and now I'm so hurt and lovelorn. But no, they write it as in, she's just a possession, and so he's like some strumpet in a tent being like, he took my toy, you know. So I'm like, nah, this is fucking horrible. So no, I um, I don't like Achilles from the source material in any way, shape, or form. Honestly, I think that if he weren't by reputation the best warrior in all of Greece, I would say he's a useless little twat. <laughs> but I can't say that because he's apparently the best An warrior ever. Excellent analysis. Thank you. Thank you. So what what would they have to do to make you like him? Um, to make me like Achilles, they have to. I mean, I I like the the sort of uh, philosopher king trope where if you make him not just some sort of rabid wild dog killing machine of ah, I like killing people because that's what people tend to do. I find that most adaptations are like okay, we're just going to make him sort of like a warmonger who likes war for the sake of war and he just doesn't have a conscience killing people. So I'm like, if you put in this very sort of philosophical, like, I understand that this is my talent and I'm good at it, but it has to be for a specific reason. I think I would at least respect him more. I don't know if I would like him, but I think I would respect him more. Um, What about you? I, I mean, generally, same. Right, he's he's not terribly likable in in the source material he does a lot of pouting i i think i've described the iliad to my husband before well no not to him because he's actually read it um but i've described it to, to someone before as like one man sitting in a tent for 10 years um it's not quite that extreme but like there's a lot of tent sitting and it's just like irritating because it's it's like a male ego the battle of male egos really rather than like you said 
anything to do with the fact that there is a human person who has been passed from one person, one man to another. Like that doesn't really matter. Um, so he's he's very unlikable to begin with, and I think for an adaptation to be sympathetic, I think they'd have to do a lot of work rounding out the character. He's he's quite two dimensional, which you know is fine. It works for epic poetry. It definitely works for what it is. Um, but if we're looking at it as like a, a broader story, I think he needs. He needs some backstory. He needs to have um, more motivation, I think, than I just, this is what I'm good at and I want to be famous. Um, or if that's the motivation they're going with, there needs to be something behind it. I, as I said, ph Philosopher King. Because I, like, I, I know that works for an ancient audience, but it doesn't really play terribly no. well in modern society. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, I suppose if you take it in the context of like things were pretty much simplified and you didn't have uh like a large stable of literary either protags or antags who were like beautifully written um that would have been fine mm -hmm. but like g like girl looking back we have like shakespeare we have beautiful antagonists like iago and othello um mm -hmm. and then we have really interesting sort of protags but aren't super just good guy all the like like hamlet yeah like hamlet's <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> so it's just like because we have in modern times all these brilliantly written people, the fact that you make Achilles so two dimensional is really kind of a letdown, honestly. So I'm like, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think. Wait, who else? Not that we're knocking Homer, right? Just to everyone should know, we're great fans of Homer. Um. Oh yes, we 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 love the ancient source material. That's why we majored in classics. <laughs> exactly. But if you're taking that as your starting point, you can't then just stay there. You have to yeah. bring it forward. So I guess for me, yeah, Achilles just make him more just give him a purpose, make him more three-dimensional. Um the other two people that I'm going to wrap together in one because we kind of can't talk about one without the other that I'm curious is how do you feel about Menelaus and Agamemnon? And do you like them? Do you not like them? Are you ambivalent? Um, Menelaus, I'm generally kind of ambivalent about. I always get the sense that he doesn't have a whole lot of say in anything that happens. Um, and it's like his wife that is stolen or runs away, whichever way you're reading it. In, in terms of the the ethics of the source material, he's the wronged party. But almost none of the epic is actually about him. <laughs> he's like, he and Helen are like the convenient excuse for Agamemnon to go and, and sack Troy. And, oh, I, I don't like Agamemnon. Um, so I, I, I am very familiar with Agamemnon's story. I read the Oresteia in high school as well. Um, and he's just... I mean, from killing his daughter to just all of it, he's wildly unpleasant and very, wait, I mean, he's he's a, a king, so he's mm -hmm. entitled and bombastic and toxic mas masculinity mm -hmm. at its finest. Um, so again, I think, I feel like what I'm saying here is I don't like anyone <laughs> in the Iliad and making them sympathetic is very difficult. So 
I'm not anticipating really liking anyone, hmm. maybe. That's a bizarre way to go into a podcast <laughs> series. I hate all of them. I hate all of these twats. It's okay. That's not true. Like, I like... Like Chryseis and Briseis are really interesting, and Patroclus is is kind of but they're one dimensional because they're barely um, like like yes they they're mentioned but yeah. in the context of someone else like they're not even full people which is a shame. Odysseus, I like Odysseus. See, to me, Odysseus is like he fits the category of um, problematic faves, you know, because uh, <laughs> he's a problematic fave because I do find him one of the more entertaining characters, but he's not like good he's not good that's the problem he's not good right he's interesting he's interesting he's he's kind of fun to read dare i say that he's fun mm -hmm. i don't know if i even dare saying say he's fun but like he's just they give him more personality than other people and then others are honestly just mentioned randomly or not Oh, what what do you, what are your thoughts on Agamemnon and Menelaus, though? So, because of that one cartoon and the, the the muscle memory of of sort of liking him when I was like eight and discovering this comic book, obviously after I read him in the original source material, and and obviously I have seen some different adaptations here and there throughout the years. Um, you know, it's unavoidable. You see the Brad Pitt Troy when you're in like high school or college or whatever. I have seen it, but I haven't you know taken like a a microscope to it so i'm really excited to get into that this season but um from what i remember like obviously there are ways of making him very very unlikable but i think that there are ways to i've seen him be very unlikable menelaus unlikable um but i think there are also ways you could make him quite likable or sympathetic it would just depend heavily on the sort of adaptation you're going for you know was she stolen so is it portrayed as as like a righteous anger and did he actually deeply love her or or is it someone took my favorite toy or she's my wife and yeah right like she's my possession so yeah so i think there are ways to do both historically yeah i've been kind of ambivalent just because i'm like because again in the end of the at the end of the day he's kind of minor really it's because he's he's not even he's he's not running the show he's not it's 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 always presented as yeah his wife was stolen but then he runs to agamemnon so agamemnon runs the whole show after that so that's why i'm kind of just like oh okay fine fine who's your favorite character in the source material Ooh, i don't know if i even have a favorite because i kind of hate all of them <laughs> Yeah, they're all just kind of dreadful. Um, you know? I'm quite fond of Hector. I do like Hector because he's the only one who's like respectful, kind of doing his duty. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't want to do anything. So I guess Hector... But see, I was like, I want to kind of not fall into the trope of that because it is kind of a trope. Um because he's so easy to say i feel like he's the easiest one to be like he's my favorite but also i was gonna go for like a really silly answer and then i realized wait lol it's not even in the source material i was just gonna honestly be like the horse itself the wooden horse <laughs> but it's not even in there no you know what actually i've always kind of liked diomedes not because he's fabulous but i found him to be just a very interesting 
hero portrayed because he does do a lot of like you know he has the epic duel he's very respected you know he plays a semi-central role kind of um Mm -hmm. it's more just he doesn't do anything super problematic that makes me hate him and he's a valiant warrior i mean i could say nestor because advice but also nestor's good i do like nestor he's he feels like the the one sane person in the greek camp like because he was literally there not not super sane but you know yeah but he was also trying to advise agamemnon in all the ways i mean wasn't he the one that was like you should return chryseis to her father because you know people are gonna die because of this plague because you're being fucking stubborn and a twat so um you know yeah, there's that. I don't know. I feel like, you know, Hector's the easy choice, but it, it is kind of easy to like him. I don't know. How do you feel about Priam, though? Do you like Priam? I I actually do. I feel kind of like Hector. He's he's in an impossible situation. Um, he, I suspect even if he was so inclined, would have a hard time sending Helen back because then probably his son goes too and is brutally murdered um he's trying his best to keep his city safe to keep his family safe and then when he goes and begs for hector's body that's just kind of oh it's a little gut-wrenching i think i think he's a good character i would i would like the source material to have more women who speak that's asking an awful lot from ancient texts i do realize so i i think i'll be very interested to see how the different adaptations deal with the women given that there's relatively little to go on in in terms of dialogue and really in terms of action there's they're they're kind of given from one man to another and they like stand around and have the occasional baby um but outside of the goddesses I don't feel like they have an awful lot of agency. So seeing No, of course not. They're women. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. But that I feel like that gives you an awful lot of freedom for an adaptation because there's nothing that they have to do. I mean, Helen has mm-hmm. to go with Paris. But the motivations and really what she does once she's there are kind of open to interpretation. So I, I I will. I would like it if there were some interesting things done with that. Maybe things we don't yeah. anticipate. I mean, I've always kind of had a soft spot in my heart for Andromache. Um, but the sad yeah. part is that most of what we know about her comes not from the Iliad. It comes from Euripides' Trojan Women. So it's really kind of hard based on just the Iliad as your source material to mm-hmm. get any sense of her beyond the dutiful wife with a Styanax. I mean, she did her duty, and so she's, like, mm-hmm. there. But, I mean, she's there to be sort of, like, the sad, weepy willow. And I am not referencing mm-hmm. a tree. Yeah, I realize I just made her sound like a tree, but she's not a weeping willow. <laughs> she's a weeping widow. And it's not a spider, either. Yeah, I'm trying to think who else really shows up. I mean, because I think a lot of what I'm encountering especially as we're leading up to digging into the Iliad 
and only the Iliad. It's been a really long time since I've had to do just purely Iliad because obviously as classics majors, we have to read all the stuff. And so then it kind of mixes together. So then you have all these sources, then you, you put together. You're like, well, is this Iliad? Was this Odyssey? Was this a play that I read that deals with it? Nah, who knows? Exactly. So, I mean, it just, it melds together. So I'm like, it, am I remembering this correctly? Is Penthesilea not actually in the Iliad or is she in there but just mentioned? Because I know that I always look forward to the duels with Penthesilea, but I'm always like, wait, I can't remember if she's actually in the source material. That's a good question. I'm honestly not sure. Because she's mentioned, I think. But then I'm also like random people are mentioned, so like Achilles' famous duel with Sarpedon. I'm always like, I think that's also in the source material, but like, no representations to my knowledge have included a character, that character or that duel. So, yeah, no, I don't know. The problem is, or the problem that I have is that there are so many battles and duels that I genuinely forget which is well, which is real in the Iliad, and which is from something else, and which is just completely fabricated yes. for the screen I... someone i'm sure will write a comment and let us know yes please do please do if you know please let us know but i guess okay well if we don't remember if she's actually in the source material or if we really get most of that knowledge from after she'll be included in the adaptations though and i'm regardless of whether she's in the source material i am excited to see some amazon action yeah yeah they're there's only one adaptation off the top of my head that I am familiar with that doesn't include Amazons at all, which is the Brad Pitt Troy, which I find regrettable. But no, I'm excited to see and hopefully hear that everyone else has included them because that would be very nice. Oh, wait. Oh, oh right. Ajax. Uh, he's mentioned in a few adaptations, but like, can you remember one where like he actually plays a central role? No, not really. Also, they all, they never mentioned that there technically were like two of them, two Ajaxes. There's Ajax mm -hmm. of Telamon and Ajax the Lesser. There's always, they're usually referred to as Ajax the Greater and the Lesser, but I'm like, I, I know Telamon was one and I think that's the Greater, but uh, again, I haven't read this stuff in a really long time. No, I think uh, most adaptations, again, I haven't been through a lot of them, but I think you generally have as the main the main people Achilles and Patroclus, Menelaus and Agamemnon, and Odysseus, and Diomedes and Nestor kind of float around, but they're not like major characters in the way that the others are. Yeah, adaptations like to just sort of um, eliminate the large cast of people, which you know makes sense. It's it's fewer to keep track of, fewer people to write, um, but yeah. I, I don't remember the Ajaxes, either of them, playing a particularly big role. I just remember the one in the Brad Pitt Troy, where he's, like, this giant dude, and then, like, literally, first big battle, he dies. And I'm like, well, that wasn't exactly true, but sure. Sure. I'm glad you had him in there. I don't know. So do you think in any of the things we're going to watch, because it encapsulates such a big conflict, we've talked about how a lot of adaptations will downsize do you think any will expand and add people for entertainment hmm. value because you can play around with such a big thing that's a 
I mean, they could, but I don't, I can't think of who they would add in. Like, there's there's no one from mythology that I can think of that I'm like, oh, yeah, this would be a really useful addition to a, a telling of the Iliad. So in, maybe unless they're going to completely fabricate characters to do something specific, which is possible, but given the large cast of characters we already have, possibly unnecessary. I don't know. What do you think? I see where, like, obviously because it's such a big cast already, like, you wouldn't want to add people for just the sake of adding them unless you had uh, a tangible thing you were going to do with them but i could say maybe an adaptation wouldn't be so one-dimensional and start with the kidnapping of helen or whatever you want to call it and end with the trojan horse i mean you could add in significant um like prequel stuff or sequel stuff oh like backstory stuff for characters that's true that's true that would be nice i would enjoy that but then okay Whose backstory would you most want to see because there's Ooh. so many of them? Or would you want to do like mini backstories but for like all the major characters? So I would love many backstories for the major the major characters, but if if we have to pick one, I think the person who would benefit the most from backstory would be Achilles. Because he's such a major figure in the source material and because he is so very one-dimensional i think having backstory would really help round him out nicely i think so too i think i kind of would like to see backstory on helen and menelaus just because i want to because like since we don't really know their ages it could help establish their age if you put a backstory and say like okay the, she was newly a woman when her father you know married her off or they could construct something and have her be like no independent lady for quite some time and so it took some time for all these men to compete for her and so then by then she was like not old but like older so um mm -hmm. i think that would be kind of fun i think backstory having having an idea of their relationship as well would mm -hmm. help i think give more flavor to the conflict like more personality mm -hmm. honestly even backstory on just agamemnon and menelaus would be nice like i i'm kind mm -hmm. of curious actually to see how agamemnon and clytemnestra got together she's a good character not so much in the Iliad, but yeah like because we know how the story ends no but we know how the story ends so it's just like if we could put mm -hmm. in prequel type backstory stuff i think mm -hmm. that would be cool i mean because we already know so much about menelaus and and helen anyway so i'm like i don't need that but yeah how did your brother get so evil and creepy or you know what was like i would want to see like maybe what was agamemnon's previous relation with iphigenia before he sacrificed because i mean you know what you hear is oh yeah she he sacrificed his daughter supposedly you know he loved her very much but i'm like yeah but is it like ancient world love which is sort of this transitory like oh yes i love you in the moment and then not really or did he really love her was he a super involved dad who took her to pony shows on the weekends and yeah because i have a feeling he wasn't <laughs> like i just have a feeling maybe not so yeah i guess that would be one thing i'd like to see some some prequels um i suppose we don't need sequels just because like we have other source material that I'm sure we'll review and mm -hmm. go through and 
put together like a big puzzle but there yeah there's never any kind of backstory so that would be kind of fun or even like backstory and like how priam became king on his sons oh yeah because he's kind of i feel like the 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 greeks are so often the focus having some focus on priam might be interesting. yeah just like you know how did he get troy to be this preeminent power that or why does Agamemnon want to destroy Priam so much? Because there's, they talk about this hatred between the men, right? Where he's just like, I hate his guts and I'm going to take his city. Like, So was it motivated just by its strategic position and its wealth? Or was it like there was actually some sort of rivalry? Like, is there a tangible reason he doesn't like him? Because that would also determine, like, is he just a warmonger? Because, oh, well, rival city, I'm just going to take it because I'm greedy like that might be a way actually to make Agamemnon more sympathetic. Like 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 what if in this imagined backstory it was like what if Priam and Agamemnon were like competing for a woman or competing for something and Priam gets something and so Agamemnon's like no, I hate you. Oh, this is going to be really interesting. Like Seriously, this is I'm I'm really excited to see how all of these different adaptations play out working with exactly the same stuff. I know, right? Like that's how I love how different it is. This was such a good idea. We're geniuses. We are geniuses. Ugh. It's just my favorite my favorite people in the world are other classics nerds who just are as nerdy as I am about this stuff. Um because, you know, I could probably pose these same scenarios and questions to like my non-classics friends and they'd be like, "Just chill i don't know i don't know calm down yeah. you're okay yeah yes mm. i know i'm okay but also yeah have you considered this yeah it's very important yeah um, okay so we kind of went through all the main people any other aspects that we've missed i mean honestly nothing that i can think of i think we've hit we've hit the high points and i suspect as we go and as we record each episode there will be things that we pick up on and maybe themes that we're not mm -hmm. considering now Ooh, okay so then if we've hit on all the high points of the characters of the source material itself ooh, i have a kind of a fun one out of the adaptations that we have chosen to do are you which one are you particularly excited to get into like ooh. how many have you seen versus how many have you at least heard of but not seen or yeah, I was kind of thinking about that. So I have I've seen the Brad Pitt Troy and I have read Women of Troy or Trojan Women. I always forget the title. But that is it. The rest are going to be completely new. And that's very exciting. I am so I've having looked at some like still screenshots of Troy Fall of a City, I am excited about that because it looks like it's beautifully shot and i'm a bit of a, an aesthetic nerd and beautiful costuming and nice lighting is the way to my heart if we're honest um in terms of the books i am excited about um uh song of achilles because i read circe by madeline miller and loved it so I'm anticipating enjoying that very much. Um, but also uh, Wrath Goddess Sing, which is brand new and is kind of the, or was the catalyst for us actually starting the podcast uh, because we were talking on Facebook, like 
this is super cool. We should we should read this and talk about it. Then like we should talk about it to other people. Perfect idea. Uh, so I'm really interested in that because it's, and I'm not going to give anything away, but it it looks like a brand new take on a very old story, and I am very interested to see where that goes. How what what are you looking forward to? Okay, so I will admit to seeing. Let's see, I have seen the Brad Pitt Troy. I have seen Troy Fall of a City, but I'm shortly after it was released in, what was it, like 2019 or whatever. So it's been a long time. So I remember the big te- details, but I'm really looking forward to getting, getting into the smaller ones. Um, I have read, oh gosh, wait, what? I've read A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes when it first came out in 2020. Loved it. It is, it, I remember from when I read it, I just thought to myself that it, probably became one of my top not even just like Iliad or mythology but like top books of all time that I've read it's just one of the best so I remember it being excellent so I'm really excited to go back to that and uh, rediscover why I love it so much let's see I have yeah I guess Wrath Goddess just because that is what prompted us to do this podcast and also because I guess I realized that, I don't know if ships counts or not, but I realized that I had never actually read any sort of novelization of the Iliad. I'd only ever read like the source material and then seen like film and TV adaptations, but I didn't think about reading an entirely new take. So I guess I'm really excited about Wrath Goddess. Also, I got to talk to Maya Dean before we started this podcast, so I, you know, I'm just really excited to read her work and and uh, discover all the wonderful things about it. Um, I don't know. Have, have you read other novelizations of the Trojan War? No, no. So I'm I'm excited about it. I think it's it's going to be an adventure and I'm very excited. I'm like excited, but also like a little scared because I'm like, what if it ruins or completely changes what I'm used to because you get those weird things where it's oh yeah I know what's going to happen but like in a novelization mm-hmm. do you though you you get a, a rough idea of what will happen but they can change it and I don't know how prepared I am mentally for like for for like big changes you know I mean I you know I guess you could claim like watching the Brad Pitt Troy well that changes a shit ton because all the people who aren't supposed to die die but at the same time, you know, I'm also just like, but I don't know. It feels different between a movie that you understand reasons movies do things, but like books, I suppose it's the same logic, but I don't know. Is there a difference to you? Um, yes, a little bit. I think, I think because when you're watching a movie, you know, logically they can't fit everything in that's in the original because they don't have the time um so I, I feel like it's easier to be more forgiving of changes or omissions but with a book you're like you you could just like write that character and it, it really wouldn't be difficult um but at the same time i do find it when i read historical fiction based on mythology i do find it interesting to look at the changes that are made and try and work out why they've been made um because i think if it's if it's well done and it's sensitively done, I think a lot of the time it can actually improve the original 
or improve what you're given by the original. Yeah, fair, fair, for sure. So yeah, I guess just the anticipation for reading novelizations for the first time. And honestly, I love what we're doing because I've never been in a situation where I'm going to read basically different things, clearly in different voices, different adaptations, mm -hmm. but about the same exact topic yeah um all in a row so i'm like it's going to be really interesting yeah i'm 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 so excited for this season and i'm gonna have to remind myself throughout the season that even though we might make references and talk about other works i have to remember and i'll have to center myself like no i don't know i'm super excited and i'm really excited to revisit this at the end of the season when we've finished our adaptations and i'm really excited to see how if not how if our opinions on any of these characters or whatever have changed um so i guess if i were to wrap up my end of the predictions it's that i'm open and i'm hoping that a lot of these adaptations might change my mind about the characters but one i don't think that any adaptation will make me like paris and helen i think that agamemnon is going to be an asshole throughout everything i think I'm hoping to be proven wrong about Achilles because I want to say that there are going to, going to be adaptations that make him into a real three-dimensional character. So I'm hoping that even if I don't end up liking him, I'll end up not just thinking he's a pouty little twat. So I just like hope there. And um, I'm hoping maybe that I even discover a, an adaptation that is kind of unorthodox but i'm hoping that um i'll find something that is sort of more playful than just like the dreary super serious mm, um, movies things that we get all the time <clears throat> mm -hmm. so i think i'm with you i i don't think i'm going to like helen and paris anymore at the end of this adventure than i do currently if i do i will be surprised and impressed um, I think, I think that we'll find some, um, interesting characterizations of Achilles because he is such a main character. I think people have probably done things with him aside from the traditional, uh, I will kill things now. Stabby, stabby, stabby. Um, I, this isn't so much a prediction, but two things that I'm looking forward to to seeing is how different adaptations work with the gods and how different adaptations deal with the various women in the story and how they um round them out maybe um with the the empty space that is left by the the original yeah yeah oh i'm so excited for the season like a giddy and I hope everyone enjoys it. And if you have predictions for your own thoughts, if you're reading along, if you're watching along, I would be interested to hear what you are anticipating or how you think your opinion will be changed as we go through it. So please email us or leave a comment. Yeah, please do. We love to see them and hear them and everything else. So thank you and join us hopefully for the entirety of our season and uh, hopefully the rest of the podcast as well <laughs> thank you everyone bye
Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at The Reading Party Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a book or movie suggestion, then email us at thereadingpartypod at gmail.com. See you next week. Mm-hmm.